I don't want a lot for Christmas. Uh, There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own, more than you will ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. Such words could have been the words of Jacob in our passage today. He had run away from home and he met the love of his life, Rachel. The wedding day was amazing. But the next morning he woke up to find he'd been tricked. Behind the veil had not been Rachel, the younger daughter. No, the father of the bride behind the veil had placed the older sister, Leah, Jacob had been tricked. He would, in the end, marry his true love, Rachel. But he now had two wives. Oh, dear. Both competing for his attention. Both saying to him, all I want for Christmas is you. And in our passage today, these two wives will fight. They will compete for Jacob's love. They will both seek to buy Jacob's love with children. What we have before us on page 23 of our church Bibles is a kind of weird love triangle. Jacob loves Rachel. But Rachel just wants to have children. She wants to secure her love with Jacob. Trouble is, it's Leah who who most immediately has the children. And, And Leah isn't so worried about the children, but wants Jacob. What a terrible mess. And yet it's this family God has chosen to bless. God said through Abraham's family, now Jacob's family, God's going to bless the world. He's going to fix a broken world. He's going to send a saviour through this messy family. How's it going to happen here with with all the infighting, with all the, the competition, all the attempts to buy love? How can God ever achieve his purposes in that sort of mess? Uh, We know the difficulties of this, actually, ourselves, don't we? I wonder if you examine your own life. Are there people whose attention you crave, whose love you desire? This Christmas, I wonder, with the gifts under the tree, are you attempting to buy someone's love and favour? Many of us uh, treat God like this. Uh, We want to do the right things to buy God's love. Do enough good deeds Maybe he'll like me. I'll buy God off. Many parents this Christmas will attempt to buy their children off. I haven't given them enough time, so I'll make sure the Barbie dream house is under the tree. Many of us in sticky relationships, uh, all sorts of things we'll do. Some people will even, shock horror, try and have a baby to fix a, a, a struggling relationship. Many of us are living our lives to buy people, to buy love and affection. Mustn't let that person down, must be punctual, must perform. At work, must produce the perfect project so people appreciate me. We can all sympathise with it, can't we? Leah and Rachel longed for Jacob's love, and so they tried to buy him. But here's the thing they missed. Here's the thing that we missed. All the earthly loves of this world just point to the ultimate love, you see. 
They're not the main thing, they're just the pointer. It's the love of God we're meant to know. And while this morning we're going to see Leah and Rachel attempting to buy Jacob's love by providing children, we're going to see at the same time that God is going to love and bless the world. And he's not going to demand anything of us, rather he's going to give his son to bless the world through this messed up family. This birth story, in other words, is going to point to the bigger story of Jesus. We've got some flickering here, haven't we? I wonder if I can fix this so it doesn't distract us or otherwise simply unplug it. I was going to use the screen, but I'll just... Is that better? No, that's just gone. Right, I'm going to unplug... I'll unplug it for now and we'll plug it back in again later. See how we go. At least we haven't got any flashing at us. Um, Right, well, here this morning, anyway, as we get into um, Genesis 29 and 30, we are going to see that humanity tries to buy love in all the wrong places. And yet God is going to bless the world. He's going to keep his promises in spite of it all. So this morning, firstly, notice, notice how the Lord blesses the downtrodden. We see it in chapter 29 and verse 31. Look with me. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Now, here's a surprise. Jacob loved Rachel. Surely God's promise would come through the wife that he loved. Surely the rescuer would come in that setting, that setting of of Jacob who just adored Rachel. Well, no. God chooses to bless Leah with children, the unloved wife. It is through Leah's family that the Lord Jesus will come. Now, notice why, why it says that. Why does the Lord choose to favor Leah? Well, the Bible says it was when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. The Lord saw that Leah was downtrodden. Did Jacob hate Leah? I mean, she clearly wasn't his favorite. Was it just a sense of aversion or was it violent hatred? I mean, I don't think it can have been that since he was able to sleep with her in the end. It's probably simply that Jacob preferred Rachel. He probably resented Leah because she tricked him into marrying her. But the point is that while she is downtrodden and neglected by Jacob, the Lord chooses to bless her. The Lord blesses the downtrodden here. Do you see here, the Lord is no respecter of persons. Just because Rachel was the beloved wife doesn't mean the Lord had to bless her. No, wonderfully, God in his justice shows in a small way how he's going to act in his kingdom. He's going to act for the the oppressed, to restore them, to take away the injustice they face. Heaven will be a place where those downtrodden will not be underfoot anymore. Those downtrodden here will have the full rights and freedoms and blessing of being God's children. There's, There's a signpost here, isn't there, to what the Lord is like. He's on the side of the downtrodden. It does make me wonder, here's a bit of an aside, it does make me wonder if the church can be a place like that. A church, the church can reflect what the Lord is like here. I hope that when people join us and become part of, of Grace Church, that injustices and oppressions people face, prejudices, are not perpetuated here. People are not overlooked anymore, but rather restored amongst us. That's a, that's a big thought, isn't it? 
The Lord blesses the downtrodden and the neglected. But the great irony here is that despite the love of God, despite the blessing of God on Leah, she actually isn't that bothered. Leah just wants Jacob. We see it throughout verse 32 to 35. Leah just wants Jacob. She's given the blessing of having children. She conceives and she gives birth to a son, Reuben, which means see a son. She chooses that name, we're told, verse 32. She says, because the Lord has looked upon me, has seen my affliction, now my husband will love me. There's a sense in which she's right to have called her first son, see a son. God has looked on her, hasn't he? But that's not the main reason she gives him that name. See a son. She calls him see a son because she hopes that now her husband will see the son and love her. It's almost like she's called, called her firstborn son, notice me. I'm over here, Jacob. Notice me. See, I've given you what you wanted, a son. I wonder if you can feel the tragedy. God has given her a gift. But who does she turn to with the gift of this baby, with the gift of this life? Does she turn to the giver of life, God? In passing, perhaps. But no, she turns to someone else with the gift that she's been given. She tries to curry favor with another. She neglects God almost altogether. Is that, is that not how we treat God? He is the giver of life. He is the giver of gifts. And we live in the world that he's made. And we ignore him. And we go after other loves. It's pretty outrageous, isn't it? Um, when else do you ignore someone who gives you gifts? If someone gives you a gift, you don't ignore them and turn around and go and talk to someone else, do you? We would never do that. And yet we do it to God. Now, I'm not sure Leah notices what she's doing because, look, she has a second son, verse 33. Ah, she says, the Lord has seen that I'm still hated. She's still trying to buy Jacob's love. She bears a third son. She calls him Levi, which means attached. And she calls him Levi because, look, verse 34, she says, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. See how she treats God. She treats God like a slot machine. As like a means to an end. She's not even, it seems, that happy about having a family per se or enjoying God. No, she just wants to secure and buy Jacob's love. The love of Jacob in her heart eclipses everything. All I want for Christmas is you, Jacob. She has a serious case of what the Bible calls idolatry. She makes an idol out of Jacob's love. She makes his love the most ultimate thing in her life. Now, she's married to Jacob. And it's not a bad thing that she should want to be loved by him. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, when a good thing becomes an ultimate God-like thing, we end up excluding God. We end up excluding others. And that, the Bible calls this idolatry. And it's painful and it's awful because the Bible tells us there's only one thing, there's only one person who is most supposed to have the ultimate place in our life, and that is God and his love. Sure, love your pets, 
love your family, maybe even you have a tendency to want the affection of someone else and want to buy their love. Sure, sure. But love God as number one. Because when something else takes the space that is due to him, everything else unravels. We, we see that here. See, if you live your life for your job, if that becomes number one, or you live your life for your wife and that becomes n- n- number one, all you're doing there is seeking other people's approval. And it's crushing living your life that way, going after that again and again. Only the love of God can fulfill our heart. I think Leah does in the end discover this. Look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son, son number four. And she said, this time. Now. Now. This time. I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called this son's name Judah, which sounds like praise the Lord. And then she ceased bearing. Leah tried to buy Jacob's heart bearing sons. And it didn't work. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a hint to us, isn't it, that if we, if we go on like that, we'll find the same. Trying to buy ultimate love and satisfaction anywhere other than God will lead to disappointment. And the thing here is that maybe that's a good thing. Leah's heart is unfulfilled, but what does it do to her? She concludes, this time I will praise the Lord. Maybe some of us need to, today need to find our desires unsatisfied so that we turn to God as the ultimate love of our lives, so that we'll stop our idolatry, so that we'll look to the giver of life. Instead, there's a challenge for us. There was Leah, and she just wanted Jacob. There was Rachel, too, and she just wanted children. We see this in the first eight verses of chapter 30 over the page. Neither of these uh, women looked much to God, did they? Look at Rachel, we see the same idolatry. Did you notice it? Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. Leah had four sons. God's blessing her. And why shouldn't she? And why shouldn't he, rather? Rachel had Jacob's love anyway, didn't she? Is Leah having children, the blessing of God, God's promises coming true, surely Rachel should just be pleased. But instead, Rachel is feeling vulnerable. She looks on Leah as God had looked earlier and had mercy. Now Rachel is doing the looking and the seeing. Only she does so with envy. I suppose it's no surprise. Perhaps we're here this morning saying, it is no surprise, Ollie. Cut us some slack. But notice what envy is. Someone uh, once said, envy is sorrow at another person's good. Envy is sorrow at another person's good. And that can only come from a pretty twisted and bitter heart that's out of shape. See, here's Leah full of idolatry, longing for Jacob's love. Here is Rachel, desperate for children to prove her love and her worthiness of Jacob's love. She says, give me children or I shall die. Children become the only thing that matter to to Rachel. She wants that favor, that security with Jacob. It's the only thing that matters. 
That's quite ironic, isn't it? She wants Jacob's love and she ends up shouting at him. <laughs> she, she longs for the love of Jacob. It's like God in her life. And she treats him like God. Give me it. You can give it to me. I love you. You can give me children. And that's what our idolatry can be like, isn't it? We can put expectations on others and on other things that, that, that they can never live up to. Jacob says, I'm not God. I can't give you children, Rachel. Not a very sympathetic reply, is it? But it is true, of course. Here's the thing for Rachel. If she'd love God as ultimate, if Rachel loved God as ultimate, she'd go to him with her concerns for children, wouldn't she? She, she wouldn't go to Jacob. She'd trust God for children, and she'd know that whether she had children or not, she was loved by God. She didn't need to worry about her, the love that she found with Jacob because she'd always be secure with him. And knowing if Rachel knew she was secure in her love with God, she'd be able to love Jacob freely, wouldn't she? Her life wouldn't hang in the balance with Jacob. She'd be secure with God. How ironic it is. Sometimes we make the love of other people and the other loves ultimate. And they become so big that they get crushed and we get disappointed. Well, since Rachel can't trust God, she takes matters into her own hands, or at least that's how she feels. <laughs> she must have children at, other, at, at any cost, and so she takes her maid, Bilhah. She copies a strategy from earlier in the Bible. It was disastrous then, it's disastrous now. Uh, verse 6, Bilhah is a kind of surrogate, I suppose, in a way. And has a baby, and Rachel calls the baby Dan, and she says, it's because God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Is that true? Has, has God judged Rachel and said, yeah, that was a good idea? Well, there's no comment, is there? <laughs> I don't suppose we can presume such a thing. And Bilhah, has a, the maid, has another son for Rachel called Naphtali. Verse 8, it's a name to do with wrestling. And Rachel says, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Do you think God's pleased about that? The whole thing is a tragedy all round. And do you remember how Leah was just at the point of giving up on the competition? Do you remember she named her last son Judah? Now I'm going to praise the Lord. Well, now Leah's going to be dragged back into it. She's going to know that she can copy Rachel's method. Notice here, by the way, how easy it is to be dragged down by another person. Uh, Leah earlier in the passage has made a wise and godly decision. And yet Rachel drags her back into idolatry. Idolatry has a powerful hold over us. It's worth noting that here, isn't it? Only the power of Jesus can break that in our lives. Now we see... That these pair of wives, they just want to win at all costs. Look at verses 9 to 21 of chapter, chapter 30. Both of these wives want to win at all costs. Uh, Leah had become barren after having four children. I suspect that's not too uncommon <laughs> in a way. She sees it and she sees how Rachel took the maid and did this surrogate thing. So just like Rachel took Bilhah, Leah now takes Zilpah. Her maid and gives her to Jacob. Two more sons follow. Gad, meaning good fortune has come to me. 
and Asher, meaning happy am I. So here's the score in the competition. Leah has supposedly six boys, four by herself, two by the maid. Rachel has two, if we can call them hers, indeed, by the maid. Leah is 6-2 up, and she names the last son, Happy Am I. That's awful, isn't it? How messy. The gloating, it's, it's ugly. Both of these women want to win at any cost, so much so that they'll even fight over food. <laughs> Did you notice this? These things called mandrakes come up. We discover, look, verse 14, one day Reuben... Uh, Leah's eldest son, discovers some rare fruits, some mandrakes, and he takes them to his mum. Now, mandrakes were thought of to be an aphrodisiac. Uh, They were thought to have, superstitiously, magical fertility properties. Um, Probably in those days, if you'd gone to a fertility clinic, they might have sent you and said, you want to find some mandrakes. Okay, that's, that's kind of what they are. No surprises then, Rachel thinks, I better get hold of those. I want those in this competition. She goes to Leah. She's polite, verse 14. Please, can I have some of those mandrakes? But Leah's reply is curt and rude and to the point, you stole my husband. And you'll steal my mandrakes too. It's basically get lost, (laughs) is what it is. But Rachel barters. She says, all right then. Well, look, you can have one night with Jacob if I can have some of your mandrakes. That's pretty ugly, isn't it? I guess she figures Leah is barren. So it won't matter. And she'll take her chances with the drugs. With, with the magic mandrakes. That's the trade. Leah goes for it. And despite, despite all this bartering, despite all this idolatry, despite all this competition, Leah has more children again. She grabs hold of Jacob. Jacob is so passive in all this, it's terrible. She says, I've hired you, Jacob, and she grabs hold of him. And she has a kid, Issachar, meaning wages. She says, this is my wage. God's paid me for this trade. This was a good trade, thinks Leah to herself. She gets pregnant with a sixth son. And see the idolatry again. We can't escape it. Look, verse 20 of of chapter 30. Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift, with a good endowment, rather. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. She says, look, God, three sons was amazing. Now I've got six sons. God is definitely honoring me. So Jacob should honor me. And actually, look, she has a daughter too, Dina. How frustrated Rachel must have been with that trade. She only did it because she thought the mandrakes wouldn't work. Of course, the truth is the mandrakes had nothing to do with it, did they? <laughs> it's very clear here that God, God gives life and he could give life to whomever he wanted. Here is the love of Jacob shared by two uh, women. And they both make his love the biggest thing in their lives. And these women, they manipulate and they cheat and they take every opportunity trading fruit if it'll work. There's a warning in there to us, isn't there? You love something. You say, I, I, all I want for Christmas is this. That's the big thing in my life. You say, I know it's not right. But no one's getting hurt. No one's going to get hurt. Well, it's not true, is it? 
It's just that someone probably hasn't gotten in our way yet. You've set your house on the you set you set your heart on the dream house move. You're going to change where you live, and the estate agent gets it all wrong. Well, they get the sharp end of your tongue, don't they? Because that's what you wanted for Christmas, as it were. Uh, you, you've got that friend you love, and you wanted to be invited to their party. It turns out everyone else has been invited, and you haven't. So what do you do? You now don't speak to any of those people who went. You're miserable with them. You wanted that promotion. You wanted that opportunity. Someone else got it. So they get the rough end of you from now on. You wanted to have the comfortable life. Only your family, it turns out, are all pretty awkward and hard work. And so you're grumpy with them almost all the time. You see, when our desire for anything, comfort, satisfaction, love, approval, when our desire for any of that stuff becomes ultimate and takes the place of God in our lives, it will disappoint us and we will, we will hurt others. Only God should have the ultimate place in our lives. So let me ask you, what is in the ultimate place in your life? Now you say, I'm a Christian, so God, God is. Okay, yeah. But what we speak with our lips often isn't completely true on the inside, is it? What subtly are we setting our desires on? What subtly are our affections longing for? This Christmas, what would you love to, as it were, metaphorically, unwrap underneath the Christmas tree and then everything would be perfect, do you think? What is it? What is ultimate that you're looking for? Because let me say, if it's not the Lord God and his love, you'll end up in the kind of mess that we see here. And how hideous it was, how awful the competition but notice it all starts and ends with God. Do you remember we saw the Lord saw Leah? Well, come with me to chapter 30, verse 22. The Lord, we saw, blesses the downtrodden. Now we see the Lord remembers the downcast. The Lord remembers the downcast. Look with me at verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son. And said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. God has, in the end, remembered Rachel. It says remembered. Had God somehow forgotten Rachel? No. The word remember in the Bible talks about when God is going to intervene. When he sets his mind to intervene in line with his character. God had looked on Leah as she was downtrodden and chosen to bless her. Having blessed the downtrodden, would he not now choose to bless the downcast too and set Rachel aside? But this is the God of the Bible. Jesus said he came to carry our burden, didn't it? He? he came for the downcast and the helpless, the sinners, the broken, those who felt the world's reproach, who were on the trash pile, those whose lives are like a, a, a piece of shattered glass and where they can't get the pieces all together. That's whom Jesus came for. And here in this moment, for Rachel, this means a baby. And it meant that she could say, God's taken away my shame. I guess everyone thought something was wrong with her. That she'd done something wrong because she couldn't have kids. Well, now the Lord silences those words. He has mercy on the downcast. Even, actually, as she carries on her idolatry. Look at verse 24. 
And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Look how she's still in the competition. To use cricketing terminology, I think this is cricket, she's broken her duck. Uh, she's, she's, had, she's had one baby, and so um, maybe she can have more. She can do it. She'll prove her love to Jacob. But what a picture. What a picture of God. What a picture of what his kingdom is like. What a picture of the one who should be ultimate in our life. The one who blesses the downtrodden. The one who is just. The one who has mercy on the downcast. Isn't he the one who should be ultimate? Both of these women in an awful mess, but the Lord chose to bless both of them. Leah has a son who will be used to bring the Lord Jesus into the world. Rachel, she's going to have a son called Joseph. Scan ahead, you'll find out how important he is. Even in the mess of this family situation, it doesn't stop the Lord. God had promised blessing to the world through Abraham's line. Jacob's family, God had said, would become so big, it would be like, uh, like the stars in the sky. They would outnumber the grains of sand on the beach. So I wonder if you see what else is going on here. While there's all this competition, while there's I'm winning, I'm wrestling, you're winning, I'm happy, you're losing, I'm winning. While all of that's happening, what is God doing? Jacob's one family has now become 11, 12. They're becoming a nation. God is keeping his promise, a nation through whom the world will be blessed. So do you see, if we find ourselves in the place of Leah, if we find ourselves oppressed, experiencing injustice, or if we find ourselves in the place of the downcast, full of tears and disappointment, well, guess what? We can know. But God is keeping his promises that one day through the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be relieved of these burdens. We will know the blessing of tears wiped away. And he doesn't say we have to pay for it. He doesn't expect us to buy his love. He doesn't expect us to work for him. Here's these women trying to give their sons to acquire love. God isn't going to expect us to give him anything. No, rather, all the while, he is intending on giving his son so that he can love us. Here's the last thing. Last thing for us to see this morning. Would you flick over a couple of pages, please, to uh, Genesis 35? This is, this is the epilogue to this story. This is the final piece. Genesis 35, that's the, the big number. Big number 35, and the verses are the little numbers, 16. Here's how it ends for Rachel. Do you remember what uh, Rachel, Rachel said? May the Lord add to me another son. We see now she gets one. Do you remember how she said to Jacob, give me a son or I'll die? Here all of those aspirations and desires are coming to a head. Jacob and his family return to the land of promise. And we discover that Rachel is pregnant. Only the labor runs into difficulty. It's clear she won't survive the birth. What a deep sadness. The midwife says, don't fear. You're having the son. May the Lord add to me another son. You're going to have the son, Rachel. Look at it. She got what she wanted. 
She got what she wanted, but it's killed her, hasn't it? She calls him son of my sorrow. Jacob prefers another name. And we're told that, that Rachel's story ends in verse 19. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. I think the message can't be much clearer. Our desire for things over God, our attempts to buy love in this world, what will it do? It will only end in tragedy. It will kill us. It killed Rachel. She thought babies would bring her happiness. What did it bring her? Her story ends in sorrow. What a tragedy. And so this morning we could now close up our Bibles and say, oh, look, there's a message of sadness for us. Only remember the words of the carol. How does it go? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What a tragedy it was. Her story ended in sorrow outside a little town called, what was the town called? Bethlehem. Outside that little story, outside that little town, the story ended. Only it wasn't an end, but a pointer to another story. Some years later, another son would come, born in the little town of Bethlehem, and he would walk out of that, out of that town on the road, and he would experience death. But he wasn't dying in a need to, to earn something with God. He was dying as the ultimate gift. Christ came to the manger to walk the Bethlehem road to get to the cross. So that you and I know we don't have to look for love and satisfaction. We don't have to chase it. We don't have to buy it. God has given it. In the baby more born in the manger in Bethlehem was one who would walk that road. Who would transform Rachel's death. Who would change Rachel's death. Who would reverse death itself. On the road to his own death. He was going to die for idolaters. Die for people who made a mess of things. Just like Rachel and Leah. To bring us to God. We'll make a mess of things for sure. With our songs. All I want for Christmas is. God has given his son through his promises, through this story, through this family to lavish on us the greatest love you and I will ever know. There's warning here, but there's also amazing hope. You can know the love of God who would give his son for you. Stop trying to buy love. Stop trying to earn it. And know that even if you do, God still keeps his promises. Shall we pray? Let's pray. As we bow our heads, just think, how do I need to respond to this? How have I been trying to buy love, you might like to think? What am I trying to buy? What do I want to unwrap under the Christmas tree? How am I trying to buy love from, from God? How am I trying to buy love from others?
Father in heaven, uh, thank you for this uh, Bible passage before us today. Uh, Thank you for the challenge in there. Thank you for that, that umbrella that wraps up the whole thing. That you're the God who shows grace. You're the God who favors the downtrodden. You're the God who would lift up the downcast. You're the God who transforms the sorrows into joy. We thank you that as we look at the manger, we could see that you are giving your son to love us. And so all our attempts to buy love now can be set aside. We're safe and secure in the greatest love there ever is. Father, help us to identify then those idols in our heart. Help us to recognize them. Maybe we'll be able to see that ourselves by your Holy Spirit. Maybe we'll need the help of others. Would you help us, we pray? We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.